0: Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with me, Chris Bright. Every week, I'll be speaking with a church leader about ministry strategy and getting to grips with not just what they do, but the thinking behind why they do it. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, my guest today is Dan Rylands. Dan is the Chief of Staff at 12 Stone Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He's previously partnered with John Maxwell for 20 years, uh, first as executive pastor at Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego, and then as vice president of leadership and development at uh, Enjoy. Dan is also the author of books, Amplified Leadership, Five Practices uh, to Establish Influence, Build, uh, Build People and Impact Others for a Lifetime. I actually have that book here, and it's so well used, Uh, that uh, I recommend it to everyone. Uh, So I love this book and I was given this and I've read it cover to cover probably more than once. Uh, So definitely recommend that. Uh, And also uh, Dan is the author of his latest book, which is Confident Leader, Become One, Stay One. Uh, Dan, it's so great to have you on on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Chris, for inviting me. It's my delight to see you again. when we met here in the States and now to see you and do this podcast with you. It's wonderful. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. Well, um, I, I've been wanting to speak to you actually for a, a really, really long time because, um, well, when I think of the job executive pastor, which I think is probably somewhere near the, the field of uh, that I work in, in the kind of in, in church world, uh, you're the kind of, the, you're kind of point zero of, of the executive pastor. World. And I know that um, that you kind of helped to coin that term, so we would love to kind of hear how that how that job title came to be, um, and also how you defined it, and how it maybe is how it's defined today as well.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not sure I actually defined it. I I think I was amongst the the first group ever in the country, which is a you know your point zero. That's a nice way of saying I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> So I thank you for the nice way. I thank you for that. <laughs> but but I I will say it. But I don't. I, I don't know. I think it might have been more Peter Drucker, um, who who was introducing the big idea. Uh, I can tell you how it got started. Really, you know, the church growth movement up to the, 40, you know, thirties, forties, and fifties, and and even in the sixties when the Jesus movement started. In the seventies, the the church there were really almost no churches over 100 or 200. I mean, there were small community churches. And so it was when the church growth movement was introduced and churches started to grow, that started to cause a need to organize a little bit more fully, to strategize a little bit more fully, because a large growing church is a completely different animal than a smaller one. So that's really how it actually began. And um, I was actually the one of the very first um, small groups in Southern California. I was the kid actually in the group. Uh, most of the other uh, guys are retired at this point, but so I got to sit with the greats and learn from them. And and now I'm the, the old guy who gets to help a lot of young uh, exec pastors. So it's kind of fun.
0: No, that's really cool. I'd love to find out, kind of dig into this role because I think it's yeah. the role that's, that's really starting to emerge a little bit more in the uk and i kind of want to make sure that we can differentiate it especially from the role of probably assistant pastor because it seems like it's different but i think people use that term is what i'm hearing in the uk especially it's quite interchangeably but from what i've gathered it's quite different well how would you define that role of what is an executive pastor
1: yeah it, it is different chris um Traditionally, and I don't know if I I may misstep on the difference between the UK and the States, and you can correct me, but traditionally, at least in my experience, the assistant pastor is much more pastoral, uh, picks up a lot of pastoral care, um, maybe leans a lot more into spiritual formation, those kinds of things, um, really helps the senior pastor with a lot of the people overflow kind of a, a, a position, uh, the executive pastor, really the essence of it really is the strategic side of vision. It's really the execution of the vision of the church. And if there were three uh, main components, of course, we all do 27 different things, but if there were three um, main components, it would be all things staff, from culture to development to performance to hiring, you know, all that everything staff. And then second, it's ministry architecture, meaning what ministries you do, what ministries you don't do. Is it working? Is it not working? What do you start? What do you stop? And the third would be leadership development, Uh, probably both in the staff, depending on the gifting, of course, of the individual, uh, probably both um, uh, in the staff and the congregation. That's kind of the core of it. There's obviously more things, probably the, but then there's a big distinction. There's another one, because one distinction you mentioned, the associate or the assistant and an XP. And then there's a, a distinction amongst exec passengers. Actually, there's a lot of them, but the two main ones were one would be kind of what I just mentioned, more of the coach, the leadership coach, the staff overseer, you know, the strategic person. And then the other one is the other um, big category would be more the administrative financial buildings, property kind of, you know, and, and there is a really, really big difference there. And depending on the size of the church, you're likely to have two.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, it's, and I noticed that those roles, uh, especially on the kind of more operational side, that that's already starting to exist. I think on the strategic side, that's, uh, I think for the UK anyway, that's that's still quite new because I think that's normally been expected of the... The senior leaders to be the kind of the key strategic person in church. Um, wh- why is it so? Uh, how does that work for you? With uh, uh, Kevin mises is, is your senior pastor uh, at the moment. So uh, how how do you sort of work together with with your skills and his skills? And uh, why doesn't Kevin take on that uh, key strategic role? Uh, why have you sort of differentiated that out? How, how is that helpful?
1: Yeah, well, uh, first of all, Kevin is extremely—he's very strategic, and he has a very. So it's not about gifting with him, or a lot of situations. Sometimes it is, um, but he's very has a very strategic mind, and did it all himself. To the church was uh, fourteen hundred people, I think. You know, but it simply becomes a matter of time, and then skill set. So it—he's good at it, but he's not passionate about it, and so the larger the church gets the more he has to the more the senior pastor has to devote their time to vision communication becoming a better communicator um, contacts in the community they just have to put their role and function in a different place and they if i put it simply they just run out of time and they they need somebody who can just pick up pick up the the ball and run with it um where it's more their gifting and they can put all their time there yeah
0: yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it, it immediately makes me think about how could that work at small churches at that sort of level? Because, you know, there's many churches, many church leaders that, you know, the strategy is just not their gifting. But could that work maybe not in a staff capacity, but maybe in a volunteer capacity? Uh, what do you think about it working in in this kind of small church environment?
1: It's a good question. Uh, let, me, let me start with this, Chris. I, Typically, the role of a full-time executive pastor probably best starts in a church of about 1,200 or more, maybe a thousand, but you know, in, in that area. But 1,200 is kind of ideal. By the time you're 1,800, you're a little late. Um, before that, so if you get down into you know mid-sized and smaller churches, the role and the function of the XP is still needed, um, but. But usually, the senior, like you just said, usually the senior pastor carries that role. Um, so if if the senior pastor didn't have that strategic gifting, maybe they're a good communicator, good people person, good shepherd. They didn't have that strategic gifting, and and you decided, well, we need that. Then then either if you choose to make it a staff person, a paid staff person, that you would that person would have to carry additional roles. And depending on the size of the church, they'd have to carry multiple roles. So it could be where this person carried spiritual formation, small groups, maybe outreach, and, and the executive pastor kinds of roles. But when you think about it, if the church is that much smaller, there's not as much need. The staff is smaller, the complexity is less. So that there isn't, and that's why there's room for and the need for that XP to carry those other roles but it is it's a little early and i would say there's a danger in if you a couple of things one if you hired an xp to offload stuff because you just don't want to do it or to to have an xp and that's all they do because that's that's too expensive for a smaller church to hire a full-time person to carry a pretty simple strategy at that level so i don't want to i don't want to talk too much so i'll stop and let you (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know, <laughs> you know. I, and I think this probably goes on to my my next thought, which is, you know, your your job is chief of staff, and obviously, I think the church world has done and and the leadership world has done a lot on who you hire and you know looking for the right the right people. But I never really hear much on when. And you mentioned that kind of you know it's right to get a a full time XP at about twelve hundred. Um, so. Unless maybe start it from the beginning, maybe you can run this through for me. And uh, when's a good ch- when's the good time for a church to make its first hire? And then maybe the, the kind of the, the key hires. And at what sort of sizes are, are, are you starting to put these things in place? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's a, a lot of rules of thumb. So first, if I can give a gigantic caveat, every environment's different. So I'm a little hesitant. I love this question. It's a brilliant question but I'm a little hesitant because every environment's different. Every situation is different. So some of the things that we have to uh, use as benchmarks up front and let me say them, and then we can have the conversation. So, so for example, one of them is um, uh, your, your percentage of budget to staffing. You want to, you know, that percentage is important. You, you don't want to get too too high on, on that stuff. You know, we can talk about those numbers if you want. So funding. Secondly, uh, is 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 the church growing uh, and then and then third is what is the current use of high capacity volunteers because our first knee-jerk thing shouldn't be to hire our our first response should be to raise up high capacity volunteers because sometimes the high capacity of volunteers are your very best staff they are your even in a, in a huge church they can be your very best staff so really the only reason you hire is if you if you don't have if you don't have a volunteer who could do it or the time requirement is just so vast that a volunteer can't do it that's really how so now going to your question uh, i think there's a couple of categories to look at one is a church plant and one's an existing church so let's and then let's break down a church plant into two categories all right so if we start with with the Kind of a popular model today with ARC and other places, of a large church plant. That's kind of a newer, it's not a new idea, but it's a newer idea of a large church plant. And some of those organizations, including ARC, would probably call that about 200, uh, where the not the first day when everybody shows up, you know, but it, the church actually starts off settle in at about 200. That the experts would say that around three full-time staff. I typically, so I'm a little. I put it on the leaner side, like 2.5 to 3 FTE, which of course would be the senior pastor, uh, and then two others. Typically, uh, we can talk about which ones are most common and most used, and which ones maybe I even think are most important. But sticking with the principle, though, uh, um, if you're if if you start around 200, and you're going to go with 2.5 to 3 FTE, then you need to hold till the church is about 300 uh, before you start hiring more. Uh, and, and I think a lot of pastors, a lot of us, maybe all of us, we're tempted to, hire, we're tempted to solve our pressures by hiring people. And that's not a good idea because you it actually can hurt you if you hire too much. You, you know You should never, ever, ever hire faster than the church grows. So if we took a small church plant, let me make this more brief, if you took a tr- small church plant, maybe 50 to 100, I think it's really the senior pastor and that's it. You really shouldn't start thinking about staff till you're about 100. Now, I know that's going to be a little aggressive sounding to some, but that's really a smart way to go, leaning into high capacity volunteers. And maybe you could do like a 10-hour children's person or maybe a contract worship leader, you know, a young young person who's gigging on the side. That's a, You could do that, but I would be very careful to to uh, strap and strain a small church to having too much of their budget into staff. The last category I would I would think about, um, Chris, is the small existing church. The thing about a small existing church, an existing small church, <laughs> is that they typically were larger, and so they have already have too many staff, and that's where it gets complicated. You know, if they if they invited me or you or Somebody into help or coach, we might even say you have too many staff, and they would feel like we don't have enough staff. Because I would use the same numbers. If it's under a hundred, I would really try to kindly encourage them. Let's look at developing volunteers because you're straining your budget to have staff, and not that much is being accomplished in terms of. I mean that when you're that small, you tend to go inward to take care of yourself take care of each other rather than outward to reach lost people for jesus
0: yeah i think that's it does make so much sense especially with those kind of established churches when when churches have shrunk or you know the staff you know you want to keep hold of the staff as long as possible people don't want to you don't want to release staff unless you really really have to and can be really really tough you you talked before about that kind of um the percentage of uh, budget to uh, staffing budget to to the total budget. Uh, what kind of parameters do you, do you set around that?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, and of course, a church plant is a little bit different. But right off the bat, and this this number hasn't changed in decades. You really don't want to be more than fifty percent total staff compensation of your total your know, church revenue. Um, but the healthier number, as the church gets larger, is closer to forty percent. Um, when I when I came to Twelve Stone, we were about 52% to staff budget. And we it took us 10 years, 10 years to march it down to 40%. And and that comes with better staff and we we you want to, you know, fewer staff, greater skills, compensate them better, that kind of a thing. But it's just much, much healthier to get that if you can. I mean 38, I mean, sorry. 47 46 48 that's all good but the further you can get toward 40 is the healthier church
0: yeah you yeah, know that's a that's a really helpful thing but i think for churches because i think and even just thinking about the the percentage in itself and just thinking as a defined percentage it just helps you scale as you grow and you know the, 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 if you if you stick to that 40% it's going to help you when you you know whether you're 50 people or 500 people or 5,000 people you know that's good it just helps you scale that up and that's that's really helpful um okay that's if we think about we thought, thought about kind of the uh amount and the amount of money that goes into that um and then you sort of talked about the kind of the first roles when we're looking at you know hiring a, a pastor waiting till about hundreds uh as a good a kind of good kind of rule of thumb to start off with if when you're starting to scale up I remember um seeing this i was interviewing one of your your staff when i um uh when i went to visit 12 stone back in 2016 i remember they had a chart of um or they said they said it was from you i didn't I didn't actually get to see the chart which is really unfortunate and it was helping to um think about staffing as the church grew at different sort of size increments and it's just it's only in my memory i never actually got to see it i don't think i think <laughs> well, you actually- might have shown it up and um, so how does that how does that work? How do you think about okay um, um, when you're going to you know the you got the first first plant you know the first one is the senior leader, but then what's the next ones after that? Would you would you put in?
1: Yeah, and that the chart you know it's in the under a shroud under a glass case somewhere. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that actually that chart was there's two different. I'm sorry. I wish this it, we I wish it was just simple answers, but there's always more involved. So the chart that they were talking about uh, was for multi-site. And the way you staff multi-site is entirely different than the way you staff a one-shop one, one shop place. And so it, your, your multi-site campuses are staffed much leaner. They need to be, they have to be, because you have a central services staff and so you can't be reproducing all that. That's the whole point of multi-site that you have central services, finance, IT, all that kind of stuff. And, and so the uh, campus staffs can be leaner because their total focus is on the people. So, um, but to go to your question, um, the, the, the typically the very first one that's hired, well, it's, it goes back and forth depending on who, who's available. It's either a worship person, a worship leader, or a children's person. Uh, or in multi-site, it's both. Uh, you, rarely would you start at that size of a church without both. But depending on the size of the launch, you know, the factors, you, it would be the difference between a part-time uh, children's in worship and a full-time. So that's where it starts. Then it gets into nuance. For example, if the, if the pastors, if the campus pastor or the senior pastor has a lot of gifts and skills and spiritual formation, meaning you know, first-time guests and baptism and new Christians and small groups and all that, you know, discipleship. He or she might take that on themselves. They may they may run that, and they may prefer because of the age of the church or the proximity to schools, which is really smart. They might want a student pastor, um, and, and or somebody. It just now you start you start late, lacing them in according to. The vision, uh, the opportunity, the need, that kind of a thing.
0: How does it change then? Um, because you mentioned about that multi-site's a different model. how does that do do the numbers change and when you would uh when you would hire and how many hires you'd have? Um yeah, how does that change with multi-site? What what do the numbers change to? I know I I know it's it's going to be different for each situation but, but but i think the rule of thumb is really helpful for us because i think it's going to help us give us something that we can kind of latch onto a little bit which is going to be really helpful uh, it's that, I, mean, I guess it's the principle of the thing uh, but yeah how does that change multi-site to um to to, uh, to a single church
1: yeah so well for example you can you can have um and I might not give the numbers right. I don't, I'm not in the, the details that much right now, but but I get the concept dead on for you. So you might have a let's say you've got five or six campuses, and you have the smallest ones, maybe four or five hundred people, and the largest ones are they could be two thousand people, they could be three thousand people. Well, a multi-site campus of I'll call it two thousand people, you could run that with. Different ones. I mean, Life Church might do that with six or seven or eight people, or or you might you you know. So let me just give us a generic. You know, somewhere between seven and ten people can run a giant campus, seven seven to ten full time, where if you were two thousand people, you might have twenty staff in a one site, right? Because they're covering everything. Where the campus out there, they're focused. They don't have to deal with it and. And and finance and uh, producing the product products meaning the children's material and the student material and the spiritual formation the small group and they don't it's all done for them so that staff is all their functions are about literally the ministries of the church and so you just don't need that much staff
0: yeah that's really helpful and that thought that the kind of the rare the return that you get for fewer staff with multi-site does make multi-site. I obviously, we do multi-site for so many other reasons, but the the um, the ability to to run very very lean is very helpful because it means that you can keep your budget a bit lower, be able to put that that budget into other things because it's it, you know the, the the budget can then go into the community or or, or whatever, and, and that can be really helpful with um with 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 hiring how do you balance the administrative and the pastoral side? Because there's always a, you know, as soon as you get started, there's always a need for, you know, we just call this admin that, that, that seems to sort of pile up. How do you balance that? Because it always seems really tough and it always seems like everyone needs more admin staff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting though, Chris, that the trend has gone away from more admins. There, It's um, even in my era, it was admins, 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 and, and that's typically, you know, uh, a knee-jerk reaction, but it's going away because we're technology has helped us do a lot of our stuff on our own, and also we've, re- we've realized that there's, you know, and again, the, the administrative and support staff, they're really important. I mean, some of the backbone staff of the church, they're amazing people. We would be in trouble without them. I just don't know that we always need as many as we think we do. And the difference to your question, Chris, uh, the difference is the staff who actually grow the church and the staff who manage the church. And so that's the significant thing we have to be honest about. And let's take an admin to start with, cause that's what you brought up. Sometimes if we can be really blunt on, on, our, on your podcast here, um, that what's important to know is you don't never hire, never hire an admin to make your life easier you hire an admin to make your life more productive. And, and so oftentimes um, admins are brought on because they just hear, you do all this stuff, you do all this stuff. And that's that's not a good stewardship use of, of, of time and money. Uh, the administrative staff, the support staff, manage, management-oriented staff are really important people. They're a gift to the kingdom, but they should free up the ones who grow the church to actually grow the church. That's the idea. So um, I think you always lead with the growth-oriented staff and you follow with the more support administrative staff. If you ever flip it, and and again, this always goes back to pressure. Um, People wanna offload their pressure, even the ones who are growing the church, they wanna offload their pressure. So they get me some help, get me some help, get me some help. And that's okay as long as the help that's being provided actually allows the ones who wanted the pressure relief to be more productive. If they're not more productive, you've really not accomplished anything.
0: well thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast this is only halfway through the podcast and you can listen to the full conversation by joining our members podcast just go to our website www.thinking.church and you can sign up to our members podcast there it only costs the, the price of one coffee per month so it's well worth doing so why not get a coffee listen to the podcast and learn something new we'll see you again for this podcast next week so bye for now